Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us for a special message. Our guest today is Dr. Alejandro Mandes, Executive Director of All People's Ministries, and he challenges us to see the harvest as Jesus sees it. Today, we reconsider the story of the woman at the well, which gives us an opportunity to look at the church from a historical perspective. Dr. Mandes Ask us if the church is losing its lamp. Listeners, we're challenged to declare America a mission field and get back to just what the gospel says in order that we can die right and live right. We're given some pointers like seeing people for who they are, for how to live the great commandment, ways to fulfill the great commission, and insight for achieving a great community. Get it out of your system. So I'm supposed to give a little bit of dirt on Emily and John. Uh, man, they're not here. That's good. Uh, well, I want to give something different than the last time, but uh, it's kind of interesting that Dave has five daughters. Um, which means when we speak a common language, Dave, because anybody that's raised five daughters has learned how to speak a little bit of woman. <clears throat> and I used to be better at it when I had hair, um, because then I could kind of flip my head when I would say, fine. <laughs> and my daughter said, Dad, stick to man. You're using woman out of context. <laughs> um, it really is a lot of... Uh, fun raising daughters, <clears throat> especially when they're five daughters in five years. Uh, yeah, uh, we had a female dog, two female cats. We had a fish, and if I could figure out how to tell the sex, but I was pretty sure it was, it was a female. But uh, I wasn't really the afflicted one because I was Hispanic. My wife is Nordic, <clears throat> and all of these girls came out very Latina, loud, Drama. <clears throat> and my wife is so calmada, you know, just calm. And then Emily came, and uh, we started calling her Julie Jr. Because she was just on top of stuff. She thought ahead, you know. The other girls never thought ahead. So being the last girl, she felt like she was always behind. So she would think ahead. So she was in the car before everybody else, and she would claim shotgun. Before anybody even thought we were going anywhere. <laughs> if we were going on a walking trail, she already knew where we were going. She was ahead. I mean, she's just all like Julie. So um, uh, that's, that's all of the dirt I'll give you on her. Uh, there's not much. She's just a special kid. Father, I want to thank you for this church and everything that they already are. Um, Father, we could use just about... 100 more just like this in the Evangelical Free Church. Lord, free me. Help me to know your will and speak your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So I work for the national office. I am the director, executive director of All People Ministry, which is works with immigrants, ethnics, and justice programs. And uh, getting back on topic there, uh, it's having a bunch of young daughters and then 
discipling some young people and living in this day, it gets to be a little bit of a stretch and a little disconcerting because of all of the the craziness sometimes of the day. You know, um, we uh, seems like are always having a war or talking about a war. We went from one extreme, not extreme, but to another extreme politically. Um, the last three or four years have had some really, really hard racial tensions. Uh, young men getting killed, uh, um, officers getting killed, people just saying ugly things without even thinking about it. I mean, even right after some things were said, the all lives matter, I mean, the, the black lives matter, very quickly people started saying, well, all lives matter without really even thinking about what were they saying? You know, what was behind Black Lives Matter? And it was almost like saying, well, there's a fire in the neighborhood and you've got to knock at every door, even though you know the fire is at the back of the neighborhood because all houses matter. And they do. But how can we listen? Oh, my mother's calling. I'll take the call. Except she's in heaven. <laughs> that would be a stretch. You know, just, it's a day when we need to really uh, pause, think. And especially when I'm discipling a millennial and I tell him I'm really, really worried, and my daughters also, about what your generation is going to be like. And I got really slammed by this young man I was discipling. He said, Alex, the same God that threw, took you through your 60 years is the same God now. It's not going to be the same. But how do we get our churches? How do we get the church of God? Not not a particular, but the church of God uh, on the same page. It seems like we're prone to radical changes from one to the other. I mean, some churches only want to do evangelism, discipleship, and they forget about taking care of the stranger, uh, the hurting person. Then you have some that are on the other side. All they want to do is social issues. Don't preach the word of God. Can't think about uh, uh, the, the Bible and discipleship. It's, it's like uh, we're in a time of extremes. And I'm also a historian, and I think about where the church has been. You know, the church started in Jerusalem. And then it went to Antioch, and then it went up to Asia, the seven churches, to Italy, up to Rome, and on. And I wish I could tell you the church has always been successful. But following the church was the evil one who was snuffing out each of these churches. And so, as you look back now, you don't see the huge church of Jerusalem, Antioch, the seven churches. Because the evil one is at work. And I would get confused because I heard the Matthew passage that says the that the gates of hell will never stand against the church. And yet I see a church that somehow or another loses its lamp. The book of uh, Revelation says to these seven churches, repent or your lamp will be taken. And I see America today. And I can't help but wonder, are we losing our lamp? There is a saying by John Maxwell Everything rises or falls on leadership. How do we not go that way? How do we find leadership? 
Actually, a couple of days ago, there was a man named Sam Walker who wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal that was trying to do a study of the 16 dynasties of uh, sports. I know you're all going to be watching sports pretty soon, so I thought I'd give you an illustration on it. And so as he's studying these different dynasties of 15 years, he, he realized it wasn't about the team at all. It was about one individual who kind of put himself in the middle of the team and made everybody go in the right direction. So, for example, in Brazil, where soccer was great, there was a great star, and his name was? You all know it. What's his last name? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. It's Pele. But did you know he's not even the captain of the team? It was Banili. And Benili was such a strong, powerful captain that he made everybody do their thing. And Pele did his thing. We all know about another dynasty, the Yankees. They had a long stretch of 20 years of greatness. And they still come back and go in here. But during that time of greatness, the one guy who was in the center was a guy named Babe Ruth. Everybody knows him for all of his crazy saints. When you get to a fork of the road, take it. He had all of those kinds of sayings, and he knew how to calm people down. He knew, that he knew how to take leadership, how to say the right things. For the 18 years he was there, they did not have a captain. Because he didn't want to be the captain. So they decided, we won't elect the captain because you are it. In looking at these different uh, great captains... He found seven secrets of great leadership. I'm only going to give you three, but they took care of tough, unglamorous tasks. They broke the rules for a purpose, and they were independent thinkers, unafraid of dissent. And I think of Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles if you have one. If not, I'll just read it to you of a story that really demonstrates this for Jesus, and it relates to what I was saying about the church. In John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, Jesus is going from one side, from Israel to Judah, and he had to go through Samaria. And it says, uh, verse 5, so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground, that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob well was there, Jesus therefore, being wearied by his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The woman of Samaria came out to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Ask me a drink, you would ask, and he would give you living water. In verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us this well? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will well up in him like a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, 
Give me this water. In verse 10, we have, I think, one of the best gospel presentations. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask and he would give you living water. And then they got into a conversation about what is the living water and who is the one that's asking. You know, the interesting thing about our day, especially in theology, there's so much crashing back and forth. What is the right theological view? I've got two master, a master and a doctor in theology. And I want to tell you what, sometimes even I get confused on what this is. But whenever I do that, I go back to the Gospels. And I look at Jesus. And all of a sudden, that confusion just kind of melts. Here's Jesus who um, didn't have to have two different hats, his discipleship hat and his love people hat. It's not like it even had two sides. It was not even two different colors. Jesus just seamlessly lived loving people and discipling people. It seems like today we have a hard time getting that done. But when you look at Jesus and the way he dealt with this situation and the way he broke uh, different rules. I mean, like, okay, this this gathering, this meeting between the woman and Jesus shouldn't have happened. First of all, she's a Samaritan, and even she has a little prejudice. She says, you're asking me for water? Your people never talk to my people. She's prejudiced. She's a woman. She's a sinner. She's a Samaritan. She's a multiple divorcee. That's why he had to send the disciples away. If you think that, G, that they gave Jesus fits about talking to children and holding them, this woman, no, Jesus, you're not only going to hurt yourself, you're hurting us too. Jesus had to send them away because the Jews hated the Samaritans. You see, Jesus's perspective, his point of view centered on the mission, not on the social conventions of the day. The social conventions of the day were that the Jews don't talk to Samaritans. In fact, they called them the dogs. And yet Jesus centered on the mission. Jesus went to the Decapolis there was the, the widow of Nye. There was the Syrophoenician woman. There was the, 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 the Gennesaret man that was demon-possessed. All over the place, Jesus was talking to Gentiles. And the social convention of the day was, stay away from them, they're dogs. I want to make a couple of preliminary conversations, and that is, why didn't they see? Why don't Christians see today? And why doesn't the church see today? See, I'm, I am a New Testament major. Greek, Greek was my major. I've translated this, and I want to tell you what. It's simple. It's straightforward. Open your eyes and see. Verse 35 says, So after the disciples had le- uh, the woman had left, the disciples are grousing, And Jesus says, do you not say four months and then comes a harvest? But I say to you, open your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. 
Now, it, it, I want you to understand, it's really easy to dump on the disciples because they were such easy targets sometimes. But really, if you look at the scriptures, there was cause for their separation. Remember, it said, come out from among them. Remember, it said, uh, you are a special people, a sanctified people. Don't intermarry with them. Don't eat their chitlins, chorizo, lengua, bologna, catfish. Huh? huh? Remember that? So it's easy to see how they may have had this sort of an attitude with y'all over there. Not to mention the fact that the reason the Samaritans are where they are is because after the Jews were hauled to Babylon, the king of Babylon brought in another group of people there. So these Samaritans were quasi-Jews. But it's still a fair question. Why didn't they see the Samaritans? Jesus did, obviously. You see, while Jesus may have said, you're special, you're separate, you're set aside for me, he never said, stick the knife in and turn it. They would call the, they would call the Samaritans the dogs. They said that a Samaritan woman is on her menstrual cycle all the time. I mean, it just, it never ended. If you read what they wrote about them, you would think, what planet are these people from? But they had to justify their hate. But Jesus walks into a situation where he actually coordinated the event to send them away. And he preached the gospel to her. A wonderful evangelistic statement. If you knew the gift of God and who it says to see to you, you would ask him and he had eternal life. She asked for the water. She asked if he was the prophet. Jesus said, I am. She left. Jesus saw the Samaritans and he said to the disciple, open your eyes. What does that mean? What does that mean to open your eyes? For me, it means you need to recalibrate everything you were thinking about. Recalibrate your, your pride, your prejudice, your preference, and get on the mission. Make disciples of all people. Love everybody. Remember the illustration of who's my neighbor? It wasn't a Jew. It was a non-Jew that was the good guy. Sometimes we've got to recalibrate our thinking. We start becoming really good at being haters. Let me mess with you a little bit. What if in that story it was Donald Trump? Okay. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, Jesus was pushing these guys in a place they didn't want to be. Or what if it was the San Antonio Spurs? I'm telling you, Jesus is messing with them. And I am a great Seth Curry's fan, by the way. 
the disciples never fully got the fact that Jesus was welcoming the Gentiles. It was a a shockingly tall order for them to recalibrate their vision. And the disciples really didn't get it until Acts chapter 11. Uh, Some of the disciples went and shared the gospel with the Gentiles in in, in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they became a great mission-sending organization. And they called Peter to account for having gone to them. And they were telling him, why did you talk to Gentiles? Peter recounts the story to the Jerusalem council. And they say, so then, hmm, God has granted grace to the Gentiles. Rats. The disciples didn't get it. We don't get it. We still don't get it. This culture has a way of just pressing in on us. We listen to the news. We watch TV. We listen to the radio more than we do in this pulpit. And sometimes it just starts affecting who we are. We see people, they do things to us that justify what we thought. And so all of a sudden, these these little tapes are going off in our head. We hear about the immigrants, that they're trouble for us, they hurt us. And yet America has always been a nation of immigrants. It has made us rich. Even the African Americans who didn't come as volunteer immigrants have been a blessing to this nation, and yet they're still not blessed back. When there was a black president, very, very quickly, he was dissed. And I know they diss all presidents, but it did start too quickly. And we evangelicals who should know better sometimes didn't. The disciples didn't get it. We don't get it. And the church in general doesn't get it sometimes. So, so the evangelical organizations get together and they're on both sides of the whole immigration thing. And so you'll have some evangelical organizations for and against and, and we miss the fact of what's happening. So in America, immigrants are very, very quickly becoming part of the majority. Immigrants and ethnics. In fact, I like to call it Samerica. America is unreached immigrants who come here from the ends of the earth. And I add to there all other uh, ethnicities who are not being impacted by the gospel. And by the way, I think it can go both ways. But I call it America. And my point here is I think the sooner that we declare America lost and a mission field and remove the veneer of evangelicalism and Christianity and get just back to what the gospel says the better for the church. All these things that hold us up and prop us up, which used to be great in the days of Leave it to Beaver and Joan Cleaver, which, by the way, were not real people. (laughs) The church has never been better than when we were on mission with God and didn't rely on politics. In fact, I think we all started going downhill historically 
when Constantine declared Christianity the state religion. Brothers and sisters, be wary of being the moral majority. Be wary of being a majority or in a, a government situation where we, we, we're right and we have voted right. Better to die right. Better to live right. So why isn't the church reaching Samaria? Tribalism. There was a book written by Samuel P. Huntington, a author, a, a professor. When you read his book, Who Are We? It comes down to one word, fear. Tribalism, and we have a consumer church mentality. We come to church, we tank up, and we take off. I love what you all are doing. There's so many outreaches here. Take that even further. And then there's the historical record. We've always kind of dumped on the immigrant. Mind you, I'm not saying that immigration is not wrong or illegal. Every country deserves the right to define and defend their borders. It is not my job to turn them in, but I do have a job, and it's called the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. In fact, we even saw Paul reaching out to an undocumented immigrant out of status named Onesimus in the book of Philemon. And Paul loves him, evangelizes him, and eventually becomes a ministry partner. I think the biggest problem with our church today is that we are not looking at them. I think the passage here, by the way, is not even a passage talking about the woman at the well. It's really not. I think it's a passage that's talking about 12 clueless men who do not know what's really going on. Let me explain that to you. Jesus, in several different situations, has set teaching pieces. And so in John chapter 11, there's a man blind from birth. And the disciples walk into town, they see him, and they say, Who sinned, this man or his parents? We're always saying A or B. (laughs) And Jesus said, Neither, but that the power of God may be manifest. For your sake, this guy is blind here, because you need to know my power and what I can do. I believe the woman at the well is a very similar teaching piece in the sense that One of the biggest problems that uh, Israel had and that our nation can also have or other places, when you start becoming the majority and you become might is right, you start having preference, privilege, and prejudice. And Jesus went right there. He went right there. Here was a woman. He was a sinful woman. Here's That's why she had to send the disciples away. And I believe that Jesus is saying, if you really want to have powerful multiplication, transformation, you've got to see people for who they are. And so he tells them, look at at her. You went into town and you brought back chips, bologna, bread, and mail. She brought back the town. I think uh, often we can look at this story and have this stained glass window mentality about what's going on. And so I have a little parody that I've written to help us in an area where uh, we also as a country are being challenged. I I call the story uh, Jesse and the Man at Walmart. It's a parody on the wind at the well, but something that may be more current. 
Jesse was touring with his disciples, Billy, Jerry, and Joel. One day he sent them into Walmart to get some food for their evangelistic swing. While they were gone, he met the, an undocumented man standing at the day labor corner eating some tacos and looking for work. Jesse said to him, Hola amigo, can I have one of your tacos? The hombre looked down, then in broken English said, Why are you talking to me and why do you want some of my tacos? The only time your kind of people talk to my kind of people is when you want us to work for you. I stand at this corner and people laugh and spit at us. They call us illegals, aliens, wetbacks, and Mexicans. So why do you now call me amigo and why now do you want my taco? Señor. And Jesse said, if you knew who it is who asked you for taco, you would have asked him and he would have given you food that would give you eternal life. And the hombre said, Señor, are you feeling okay? You're standing on my day labor corner and I, you don't have any food in your hand to give eternal life. How can you give me food that will help me live forever? You need to get out of the sun, Señor. We don't need your invisible food. Jesse said, if you asked me, I would give life to you. The hombre no longer looks down, but looks directly at Jesse and says, Life? We don't need your kind of life. Uh, we have holy rollers and hallelujah people coming to the corner and talking to us all the time about eternal life. And they tell us that we need to go to their churches to get right with God. They tell us that we shouldn't be here. Then they take us to their homes to cut the grass, take out the trash, paint the walls. And in their house, they treat us like we're invisible. But we can see what they're watching and what they're reading. And sometimes they get drunk and send us away without paying. Is that the kind of life you want to give me, Señor? Jesse said, show me your green card. The hombre says, I don't have a green card. Jesse responded, you have said, well, you don't have a green card. You have come to this country legally five times. Señor, are you a curandero? A healer. We are so confused about religion that where we should go to church, los americanos tell us to go to their churches, but then they treat us like basura, trash. Some of their radio evangelists tell us, call us thieves and criminals, and then they want us to convert and go to their church. We are crying out to God because we live in fear. We're only here to feed our families and live a quiet life. Jesse said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. If you come to me, I will save you and guide you. I know your pain. I was an immigrant. I was a refugee in a foreign land as a child. I was rejected by my own religious people. I have overcome. I can feed you. I can give you true security. I can make your load light. I can also give you eternal life. At that, the undocumented hombre dropped his taco, saw Jesse as the Savior, and ran to tell his compañeros that he had found the son of Mary and Joseph of the Bible at the corner of Walmart. About that time, Billy, Jerry, and Joel came out of Walmart, saw Jesse talking to the man, and they said, why are you talking to this wetback? They shouldn't even be here. You might be breaking the law just by talking to them. They are hated, and it will be bad for our public relations. And Jesse said, I have public relations you have no knowledge of. About that time, a large group of people were coming around the side of Walmart toward Jesse when Jesse said to the disciples, lift up your eyes and see the people who are made in my image. 
This is what the Great Commission is all about. Sometimes a little compassion opens doors for the good news in ways no seminary training or PR will ever get you. If you want to reach people with the gospel, you're going to have to talk to law-breaking sinners. You were once law-breaking sinners. Quit looking down on them. Turn off the TV and the radio talk show host and get a life. I came to seek and to save the sick and not the healthy. And these people are sick and they know they need me. The people sat all around Jesse and he gave them the food the disciples had brought in Walmart and taught them in perfect Spanish about security, peace, eternal life. By evening, they were all saved and they led Jesse to their trailer park and they shared with him their meager food of lengua, chorizo, menudo, homemade salsa, not the fake stuff you buy at Walmart. (laughs) Then Jesse healed all the people that he had brought to him. The disciples marveled that he cared for these undocumented people. Jesse said to the disciples, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesse told the disciples that they needed to care for all people, including the undocumented. Finally, Jesse said to the disciples, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all people. I read this story and I want you to understand that I think the main thing that Jesus is telling Billy, Joel, and Jerry and the 12 disciples is that you need to get over yourself and get on the mission. People are breaking the law. They maybe shouldn't be here. But we need to understand our main commands are twofold. Make disciples and love all people. Maybe God is bringing them here for us to save. Maybe at the end of the day, we do what Paul did, which is equip them, train them, and send them back to be missionaries in their own country. Maybe God sent them here to be missionaries among us. But Jesus had the courage to make hard decisions, to disagree with what the main religious leaders said, and to call his disciples to account. I think it's important for us to focus on being a reconciled community. And for me, that is a syllogism that I use called the GC3. The GC3 is the great commandment that leads to the great commission, which leads to the great community. Remember earlier I told you sometimes people focus so much on making disciples that they forget to love people. Sometimes people focus so much on loving people, the social gospel, they forget they're supposed to make disciples. But Jesus did both at the same time. He loved the stranger. He discipled her. She brought the whole city. And all of this happened in the view of the disciples to teach a lesson. Get over you. Remember I told you historically, I believe the church loses focus and dies. It's because after a while we start thinking the mission is about we. The church is never more alive. The church is never more transformational. The church is never more on march with God when it is reaching all people. I believe that all people, the stranger, the alien, the woman at Sychar, are, are, add something to our dimension that we miss. Think about in the book of Acts. In chapter 6, the Hellenistic uh, widows were not being fed. 
they complained, so they put the uh, Hellenistic uh, 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 deacons. Then when the church was broken up, the Jews went and spoke to the Jews, but the Hellenistic Jews went and spoke to non-Jews. They eventually went to Antioch, which was an all community of no Jews, and they get converted to Christ, and that non-Jewish situation is compelled into the rest of the world. We need diversity. We need at least another hundred of who I see you guys as. We need to make disciples. We need to love the neighbors. And we need to be the aroma of Christ everywhere. The great community. Not just transforming our church, but transferring, transforming those who are around our church. Here's how it looks. We need to get, we need to check our isms at the door. Sexism, racism, whatever ism. We need to be self-aware and understand it's not about us. Number two, we need to keep seeing what Jesus sees. We need to fight for that. We need to be discerning of our times. All these different uh, isms and pushing in and fear. We need to be aware of the time and constantly push back into what would Jesus do. We need to be spending time with the lost. We need to be spending time with the lost. Too often we get saved and we forget our friends. And we start getting, we start complaining when lost people don't act like Christians. Get over that. Lost people will act like lost people. I'm more concerned about saved people acting like lost people. Get over the fact that some people may be gay, divorced, single parents. People are not saved by knowing what's wrong. They're saved by knowing who is right. Let Jesus. Let Jesus. We are ambassadors, and an ambassador is not there to judge. He is to proclaim the ministry and the message of God. We need to know two things for certain. There is a God, and I'm not him. But I can take you there. San Antonio, we just had a, I'm helping plant the Hispanic church. And uh, we hosted a party at our house, Cinco de Mayo. Nobody knows what Cinco de Mayo is anymore. I do. They all think it's a good excuse for a party. So we held a party. 100 came. I told them, bring all the lost buddies you can. We had good food. We had good music. We had a couple of piñatas. I almost got creamed a couple of times. And then we had an opportunity for testimonies. How we defeated the enemy ties in with Cinco de Mayo. Creative. It fit in. It wasn't heavy. And we said, if you want to know more, please talk to us. Don't pull the fruit. Let it fall. Show them Jesus. Point number four is we need to understand Revelation and the Lord's Prayer. You know, in the book of Revelation, we see starting at chapter 4, where Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he is opening up the book. And first, there's the 24 elders that, that fall down before him. And then there's a, another large group of people. And then by the time you get to 7, his throne, by the way, that's misspelled over there. 
That's how you know this is really my PowerPoint. Yeah, I got 400 college hours. I still can't spell for beans. <laughs> but I see in the book of Revelation, this throne and in the throne room, all the nations are in front of him. Language is nation. By the way, notice it never says color. Notice it doesn't say sex. It just says the nations are in front of him. And I love that passage and we too, too. But there's one other verse that we've got to connect with that. Remember the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that's not a prophecy. That is the mission. All people, all nations, all generations, all languages. I want you to know something. We are better. It's harder, but it's better to, to look for that diversity, to reach for the all people. When you have different diversity, there's creativity. Even business has learned this. When you don't have the, the holy huddle or everybody saying the same thing, these other people that are different from you have a different zeal. They can open other doors. They see things we miss. They have different gifts, different talents. It's harder. I'm married to a Norwegian. We've had 40 years of marriage. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stand, would you please, and let me pray for you. Padre Nuestro, gracias por esta iglesia. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for uh, what you've made them. Father, they need to be a mirror, a, a picture for the nations. But Father, I want you to take them beyond what they've done. Father, what they've done is nothing compared to what you can do even in them in the future. Multiply them. Empower them. Help them see you. Help them see, Lord, where you're at. Open even our eyes. Father, every one here has a mission and a gift and a talent and resources and experiences. Lord, help us all to offer that to you as our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.